The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome. Enjoy. Greetings, 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 all one time live listeners and viewers. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, this is a very recent, uh, from today's publication date, conversation with Chris Moraski, Stone Age skills expert from North America. He's currently uh, was in California when we did this interview uh, on the day of the 1st of April, though this is no joke. Uh, we talk about the length of childhood as a human uh, for its pros and cons. We talk about exponential technological growth and our successful adaptation in these swiftly changing times so that we can all really, truly create a better world for us and our generations ahead to exist in. And the importance of finding stillness and how that is a cornerstone of being whole, of of self-actualization of participation communication all the other asians that are important there relationships i'll stop but on that note as often i try to remember to do in the beginning of this conversation let's take a moment And take a breath. And I actually took, I have a takeaway from this conversation with Chris, which is great. And I've been practicing it uh, frequently since that talk almost, I don't know, 36 hours ago or something. So oftentimes I will check in with myself. I will take a moment and I will take a breath and I invite you to join. And I'm really feeling the air filling my lungs, all those little beautiful alveoli helping to bring in the oxygen into my bloodstream, to my brain, to my body. And there's a physical component to that sensation, that awareness of checking in. Chris in this discussion, he actually does this live while we're talking, maybe halfway through or so. And he adds another step to it, which is what I've been integrating recently and will continue to do so, which is not just checking the physical, but checking your posture. Are you tense somewhere? Are you in a relaxed position? Is there, when you feel your body, is there a way to better position yourself? And then once doing that, check in with the emotional state is if you were in an uncomfortable position or a bit of an awkward or tense position, is there something that which was underlying that and to give that some attention and awareness and light and loosening up, letting go, etc. You have that to look forward to here. So I'm going to make this brief, a little bit of nuance, and uh, just want to thank you again. And 
I am right now just beginning to start this uh, YouTube uh, video edition level of the podcast and the algorithms require this, you know, pretty healthy amount of subscribes and likes. And I have quite a small audience. Uh, so everybody that is able to do so, like subscribe, that's going to help tremendously. Uh, I ain't no Joe Rogan. Just a, I'm, I'm a conscious human who just feels driven to do this. Same drive that was behind any art I used to do. It is that. It is a passion for being awestruck in awareness of being and wanting to engage and share and just help everyone all together, like move forward, come together, move up, bring forth a, an ever present, ever better present now together. And so that's what this is all about. It helps uh, just to share. The, the more ears that hear this, the more hearts that hear this, the more that as you find your own harmonious direct experiences that you talk to your friends about it, teach your children about it, talk to your parents about it, share it somehow this way we can more and more find peace across the world so if you have any questions comments ideas etc drop me a line at all one time live at gmail.com and sit stand lay relax wherever you are be present hope you enjoy this conversation definitely one of my favorites with chris Moraski. without further ado here you go. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> I was so surprised. It's been a while. I didn't think you'd have changed that much, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been going through a lot. Yeah, um, keeping up with the times. It's cool, man. <laughs> Let me see if I can change this here. You're going to make a spacey background? Nah, unless you want a spacey no, background. No, that's cool. I, I, I like the real deal. All it, right, you know, sure. if they had a million things, it would be cool, but there's just the five. What'd you do? <laughs> oh, I just changed the name on it. So, uh -huh. all right. Now we can't see it, but anyway, uh, hypothetically, under the surface in the realm of the un uh, subconscious, uh, my name is Chris Moroski. Nice, nice. I like that. You know, I. I took uh, my son out for a walk in the forest today, and it was a lovely day. It was this great mix. There were like some heavy clouds coming over, but they were broken up with patches of blue, and the sun would be shining. So it could be snowing with the sun shining. It was lovely. <laughs> and as we're walking through the forest, you know, I'm talking or singing to him about what's going on until uh, he falls asleep. And I'm, I'm thinking about just the you know, Ken, the, how there is, there is a Ken, but there is also no Ken really. It's a, it's an idea of a person and individual. And of course we have right. physical individualism, but the consciousness, which is having the thought, which is considering, you know, being as I'm pushing a stroller across this field into the forest, the, the experience of consciousness is, you know, way back 
before and beyond this Ken idea. And it's mm. a consciousness that mm -hmm. we all share. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I marvel at that. So I liked your explanation of your, um, <laughs> your name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is something I've been thinking about a lot in terms of um, reconnecting with a legitimate culture mm. and, and creating a legitimate culture because we, you know, the last time, the last time I think that uh, those of us who identify as Europeans, um, the last time that we had something that was really a culture, um, you know, we're, we're back in the early days of agriculturalism, um, you know, and, and people can argue with me however much they want about that. But when I think about real culture, I'm thinking about being indigenous and being indigenous is about being connected to a place such that one's identity is inseparable yeah. from the beings and energies of that place, you know, and you've got a language which is all about being in that place. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then you move around the world without, or the world, you know, your world is maybe 300 miles across mm -hmm. uh, for most people, but um, you move around with this understanding that you're not an individual. You know, you are a part of this community mm -hmm. and the idea of being a separate and distinct entity that could move someplace else and do something else and be someone else is inconceivable. I felt, you know, when I started hanging out with uh, the, the Blackfeet, that really became uh, something that was strong in my mind and in my heart. And, uh, and the more so staying on the land out there and at Earth Circle, this wondering where where my land is you know because mm. when you're with the blackfeet um right. you know and there's really this feeling of their their land and even they had moved across the plains you know they had their own ancestral home that which was different from northern montana but the idea of having that place and having a the the concept of self rooted or integrated with the the land with these hills with this forest you know with this body of water whatever it is and i wondered what that would be like and i have to say um that was part of that itch was scratched when i did move to europe and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and visiting here over the years to see my daughter, I often felt this little bit of extra kinship with the land mm, here, with the place. Right, and it's, it's right. Sweden and I'm from Wisconsin and there's that going on, but there was also a deeper feeling and it could just be, you know, psychological projection, subconscious yearning, but it, there was a feeling about it. You know, I'm a mutt. I'm a yep. mix of like <laughs> several different European ancestries Right, right. Um, but nevertheless, that feeling was was there. It was somehow a bit satisfied coming. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it really brings up some questions around um, who are we based on genetics, mm -hmm. and who are we based on the place where we've grown up, and then who are we based on our associations and how long we've been in a particular place. You know, like virtually all of our cells are replaced like every seven years, something like that. So if you are of one place, if you've been in that place the whole time, 
and you've been eating the food that comes from that place the whole time, then you are that place, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on, a, on a physical level, you are that place. So, um, you know, how much does genetics play into that? Um, do, do our, um, our long thousands of years of, of trauma, like how does that get carried forward? Does that follow lines of genetics? Is that a random thing when people incarnate into this new manifestation? Uh, I don't know. I've got some ideas on all of that, but I think the jury is out. Yeah, there, there's no telling for sure. Right. And, <laughs> and, and I've wondered that too. I haven't been able to convince myself about reincarnation, but I, th- this is just, I think I'm stubborn this way because I have had uh, moments in my life, glimpses, where I've felt absolutely that there was another self that I was experiencing. Right. And, and, and it seemed to be something I was incapable of imagining, you know, just on my own, that it was an actual like experience. And I yeah, thought maybe yeah. that this is a reincarnation memory or something. And then we have all of these uh, old fears about the dark or spiders or heights or snakes, you know, that seem to have been encoded in us over time. Yet we're not afraid of the automobile, which, you know, kills <clears throat> far more people than right. snakes or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely have um, memories or stories that appear like memories uh-huh. that tie me to um, ancient times and places and people. And I prefer to think of it all as these are stories that I carry. Yeah. Rather than this is my past life. Like that's an ego trip to say that um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is what happened to me. I'm carrying forth this thing. Oh, look at me. I was, you know, um, I don't know. I was Napoleon or or whatever. King Arthur. (laughs) King Arthur. That's a good one. Yeah. I I think there's a lot of reincarnated King Arthurs. Um, And, um, and that's, you know, that can be kind of an ego trip, but regardless it's not about whether it's true or not. It's whether it's useful or not. Mm -hmm. So I have these stories and I'm looking at these stories, like, what is that telling me? What's the lesson that is within that, that I can bring to this time? Because what I see with a lot of these um, old memories is that there's some woundedness that's going on there. Mm -hmm. You know, the number of women that I've talked to who have memories of being burned um is huge you know and um and that's a that's a trauma that i think traumas when they're unhealed in the world perpetuate they continue until they're healed i man in the past few years of having been ill uh you know like burning out to a severe level i Mm -hmm. yesterday i have a, a new job and i'll talk about that in another episode i'm excited about it but I had to take a nap uh, yesterday <laughs> at work and it's just a, it's a reality check. And I felt great afterwards and I really uh-huh. needed to. And, and that's where I'm at, at, at home or wherever, you know, I get to a certain point and my brain is overwhelmed and I have to lie down and, and, you know, sort of like shut down, like restarting your computer or something. And then I come back. Yeah. And, and anyways, through the process of the past few years in searching, being desperate for a way out of this 
hole and it's been a long, slow climb out. Um, I, you know, I don't mean to negativize it. Uh, that's a new word, but it's, it's been a incredible blessing. I am so grateful that this has happened to me, that I've been able to check in this deeply because it has Mm. uncovered the importance of addressing traumas that had been left unaddressed. They'd been buried down. They've been packed down. I've been able to move on and be successful and all that without ever having to look back and deal with them, but they're carried with me. And yeah. it has been extraordinarily healing <clears throat> to be able to have the time and, and the intense interest for my own healing to look at those things and give them the attention that they've been needing. And it is a right. wonderful, like, release. Yeah. 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 Have you heard of the yeah. Akashic record? I'm sure you have. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And, and uh, explain it a bit. I'll leave it to you to explain it. I could do it too, but I'd like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it is actually. Like I I know people who are really big into it and they've, you know, they talk about downloading stuff from the, the Akashic record. And uh, I don't, I really don't know what they're talking about. My concept of it is that, you know, through this sort of consciousness that I started out describing in the beginning of this conversation, you know, the, the unnamed consciousness that we are sort of all experiencing as we Mm -hmm pop into the world and, and become right. uh, our individual selves that, that there it's part of an, like, uh, someone said, it's not that we're dropping the ocean, but we're the ocean in a drop, you know, there's that kind of like, um, relationship, mm. holistic uh-huh. relationship uh-huh. to it or holographic yeah. relationship to it. Um, so that all of the conscious experiences of, you know, all of humanity and perhaps beyond exist in, in some timeless state or what have you. Right, and we're able right. to kind of like connect into it, tap into it, download it or whatever. And I'm not, I like this idea. I think it's a fine idea that, that uh, is easier for me to subscribe to than say reincarnation. But uh, again, uh, you know, uh, there's no proof, but it right. feels like, yeah, there's something there. When you're talking about carrying these stories with you, that's what brought that to mind is there's, right, there's like a right. field of experience that we kind of can resonate with and, and these knowledges can sort of appear. Yeah, that, uh, that works better for me in my way of navigating, making sense out of the world um, to call it uh, a field of knowledge, a field mm-hmm. of understanding, um, you know, like so many things, um, so many things that are that are tied to belief. You know, is it is it God? Is it uh, is it some other name for God? Is it a yeah. plethora of gods? Is it science? Is it something that we don't understand yet? I mean, we can we can argue about labels. Yeah, but the the gist of it, what we get from it, the lessons that we can gain from it. Um, for me, that's what's important. You know, like there have been people who have been in a coma and then when they wake up, they can speak a new language. I did not you know? know this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very cool thing. Uh, if you look at uh, the autobiography of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, which I think you've read, haven't you? Yeah. The, yeah. 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 I, I started to read it and I didn't continue it. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's a there's an account in there where he was um, traveling from India to the U.S. And it was in a time when the only way you could really do that was on a ship. And so it's a very long journey. And 
people realize, oh, we have a guru who's on the ship. We should have this guy come and talk to everybody. And so they bring him up and he stands in front of everyone and he just stands there hmm. and he doesn't say anything. And eventually people realize, oh, this guy doesn't speak English. And so people start, you know, joking a little bit. And then he finally just launches into his speech in perfect, flawless English. So where did that come from? You know, you can call it the Akashic Records or the Collective Unconscious or whatever, but there's a thing. And, um, and that thing is really uh, fascinating and exciting and something that we should probably all really be looking into. I, I had such a problem of being a skeptic uh, when I was with the Blackfeet, though I would be witness, direct witness to things happening right and experience them myself yeah i would still skepticize the heck out of it you know to to try to attach it to something concrete that i already knew um right. and could explain it away i have a i have a and with what you just said it reminds me it's like oh i, I don't believe because it. it's an autobiography this book right mm -hmm. yep. it's autobiography yep. of, yeah mm -hmm. um but yet when i was this was at Earth Circle. This is at one of your camps. Uh, mm -hmm. There is an older woman who was talking about muscle reflex. Is that what it's called? When um, you you test muscle testing. So um, you're yeah, you're testing, testing food. Yeah, yeah you're mm -hmm. testing food. And and she she was saying, you know, look, I'll I'll hold this shitty thing in this hand and this good thing in the other hand. And then you try to press down my arm, and you you can press down the shitty arm, but you you can't press down the other one. Yeah. And I'm like roll in my eyes in the you know like yeah okay you know this is dumb and she's like you know anyone want to try and i'm like yeah you know i would like right, i would like right. to try you know <laughs> and so i hold these different things and this and this the woman who's giving it she she was a little old lady yeah and she tries pushing down the arm that's holding the good thing cannot do it cannot do it tries pushing down the other arm i could not resist her and i was right. like what the hell i did <laughs> I, I i like refused to have the experience that i was having um yeah. so i i that belief system which is so strong like it takes a lot of practice to be able to kind of like let it just simmer down now just hush down mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so you can mm -hmm. allow these other experiences to be accessible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humans today who are present in this Western consciousness are so um, lost, I think is the, the mm. best way to put it, you know, just so disconnected from their potential, so disconnected from the um, the source of who they are, the wholeness of who they are, the potential of who they are. Um, you know, and this is not a new thing. If you look at if you look at the accounts of um, Native Americans in the you know the the 1500s, 1600s, 17 and 1800s, it's over and over and over again. They describe um white people as being children hmm. and um and it's it's that we have been brought up in a system which 
is profoundly dysfunctional. And it just continues to get more and more dysfunctional, but it's so hard for us to see it because we're in it, you know, and I think that, I think that the most, um, the most beautiful and tragic thing about being human, one of them anyway, is that whatever we're born into is what is normal, right, and good, and we just absorb that. And we have this very long childhood in which we look around and we're like, oh, so this is it. And here are the people that I, um, I need to trust, all of my caretakers, all of the people who are around me in whatever community you happen to be in, whether it functions as a community or not, I think that's the child's view. And all of these people are teaching me how to be safe, how to be successful and whole and how to have a great life. And um, in a whole healthy community that is living in harmony relatively with nature, then I think that works beautifully. Like it's so amazing. It, it gives us the opportunity to become so much beyond what would be possible just with our instincts. Yeah. But in a profoundly dysfunctional society, it's horrible. Mm. And everybody's walking around like, you know, those two fish, the two fish that are the one says to the other one, um, hey, how's the water today? And the other fish says, what's water? And that's us, you know, we're like, what are you talking about? Um, this is the way that it is. Like there is no, there is no healthy, whole, beautiful way of being together in community, in harmony with the land. Um that is, that is, you know, a possible reality. How could you even imagine that? It's just what it is. It's just today. It's just this world that we're in. And maybe we can, you know, tweak it and make it a little better. Mm -hmm. But the idea of throwing the whole thing out and turning to something that is just profoundly, deeply different and yet feels right within our bones that's a level of courage that I am looking for in our, our world today. Absolutely, Chris. That's exactly the word that was coming to mind is it takes a lot of courage and imagination and creativity uh, to try to do something which doesn't have the consent of the majority that you know, you're surrounded by, where everyone's shaking their head to agree like, yes, this is the way, this is what you should do. Right. To do yeah. something different seems you know, wild. And, yeah. and it takes courage to do that. Did you ever read the Richard Bach small book called Illusions? No, I haven't read that one. It's a nice little book. Um, and, and I recommend it. And it was the first book that I, I read, embarrassingly, I'll admit, as a senior in high school. For some reason, I just always did the Cliff's Notes versions of everything that I could. <laughs> and when I finally read a book, Siddhartha, I think was the second, um, yeah. man, I was like, you dumbass, you've been missing out. This is so good. And the, the opening yeah. of the book, the subtitle, it's called Illusions. And then the subtitle is The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. Hmm. And in the beginning of the book, there's a short story and it talks about a creature that lives in, and, and I'm, like roughly paraphrasing it's been a long time since i read it but there's a creature that lives in the bottom of a little river and 
he or she and all of its companions, their life is clinging to the stones on the bottom of the river and getting their nutrients from the water as it goes by and anything mm -hmm. that's on the ground. But this one creature just has the feeling like there's more, there's more, like, look at this river, like this is going somewhere and it's from right. somewhere. And I want to release into that. And he starts, he, she starts talking about it and, you know, their companions are saying, what do you, yeah, that's crazy. You know, you let go and the river is going to tumble and smash you across the rocks. You know, you fool. Right. Can't not do it. One day, just like, let's go. And the, the river takes the, the creature up and tumbles them and crashes them across the rocks. But in time, the creature was determined to do it again. And this time, when it let go, the river lifted them up and carried them downstream. And these other little similar creatures downstream looked up and saw one just like them, but flying, you know, <laughs> and said, look, behold the Messiah. And, and this creature said, I'm no more Messiah than you. The river delights to set us free. We just have to believe in it or have the courage to take that step, something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, the, I like that. And the caution that comes up for me around it is that in our, in our um, world today, you know, and, and I'm in California, so I'm in, I'm in glitter town, not quite in uh, Los Angeles at the moment, but um, there is such a push to say that I don't need other people. I can uh, ignore the feedback of other people. I can give myself my own permission to be the most, the best of the, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of my potential, but it's all very narcissistic. And it's very much like me as an individual, pretending that I'm an individual um, and excelling and being better. And even if it's done in the guise of me being a coach and coaching other coaches, and uh, it's still the same thing. It's still this, this egoic elevation of self, mm -hmm. and it's not bringing the community with. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the really critical differences when we look at um, my understanding of indigenous cultures versus Western culture is we see... Um, you know, there's vision questing and there's sun dancing and there's there are these ways in which and we can go into like old European stuff too, where people would go away from the community to find out who they most truly and deeply are and what they have to offer so that when they come back, they can give more so that they're more useful to the community. It's always it's always about coming back and it's always about giving more. Yeah which, you know, I think that's, I think that's a lot about growing up, you know, is we learn more about who we are, and we learn how that we can, how we can give more, you know, we, we have to start out our lives, kind of narcissistic, because we can't do anything for ourselves. You know, everybody has to take care of us, and it, we have to be very me focused. And then as we get older, you know, and in a lot of traditions, um, we don't have just one puberty. We go through many different puberties. And at each one of those, we should be 
um, a little bit more outward focused, mm. you know, a little bit more giving to the community. With our long childhoods, we're vulnerable for a long period. So yeah, we're we're very much maybe instinctually like only looking and thinking about our our own well being. I I heard a refugee uh, from Ukraine who's in Berlin recently talk about her uh, plight and the just the awful experiences that she had, and and now being a a refugee in Berlin, Germany. I say that because I'm from Wisconsin and we have a small town called New Berlin. And like, Mm. I thought I had to clarify that Berlin was in Germany. Um, But she said that she feels that the only thing that she can do to make herself feel better is to help others. And though we can absolutely have this tendency to be narcissistic and self-serving once we have the experience of helping others i think it is so rewarding i think we get so much out of it as much as we are giving right like it's it just like it's a multiplier it's such a good thing to do and i i I, part of the new job that i'm going to talk about later is uh, and I'll, I absolutely will be talking to you about this uh, off the podcast, um, but it is a, a leadership camp, and I have mentioned it in a previous podcast mm-hmm. episode too. Um, and it is really about instilling those values and having those experiences of giving and of helping and, and how empowering that is. And the connection, the importance of connection with people and the importance of acceptance of people. Because there's, mm. you know, along with that, the it it may not only be narcissism but also a fear of ridicule because there is such yeah. a powerful like element of ridicule in social media these days it's like yeah. all over twitter all over facebook all over you name it <clears throat> you know it's what we watch on tv it's you know yeah. people having yeah. their strong opinions about why i'm right and this person is an idiot you know and you never right. want to be that idiot so you're afraid yeah to go out on a limb and and help someone or you know, follow a, a passion and, and be called an idiot. But right, that, right. we have, there's a, we have to learn so much about the in-between there. There's so much right. that happens in between. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. So many things just came uh, up. Yeah. I do, <laughs> I, I, do wanna, that. <laughs> I do want to circle back yeah. to social media because I feel like that's so critical for us to talk about in our times today. Um but this um, this helping others and and how that helps to inform who we are, like we are our relationships. You know, that's a that's an old understanding of self. Is it is the sum total of your relationships. Mm-hmm. And when you look at um, say Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, an organization that is like there specifically to save people's lives so that they don't die from alcoholism. The opposite of alcoholism is not sobriety, it's connection. Mm-hmm. And the way that you get that is by being of service, you know, like you help other people out, you make connections. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's the quality of your relationships. That's what makes life worth living. And that is not the story that we're being told 
um, by all of these, you know, social media influencers who are out there doing yoga poses in beautiful places. Mm -hmm. um, Have you, you know, heard of Rat and, Park? And all of the other ways. What is that? Rat's Park. It was uh, an sounds familiar. It was an experiment done on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I have heard of that. Rats yeah. for addiction, and they had the water yes. bottle, and they had the morphine bottle or whatever it was, and yep. the rats would drink the morphine till they died. Yeah. Uh, but then someone changed that model to offer them the same two bottles of water or morphine, but in a wonderful rat park with all these other rats and lots of things to do and play. Didn't touch the, the morphine anymore or whatever right. the drug was. Yeah. yeah, so it is yeah. that connections. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, hmm. There was something else I wanted to touch on. Now I've lost it. Sorry, um, but uh, fear, ridicule <laughs> versus fear of ridicule versus narcissism. Um, the and to me that had that was drawing up on the courage to to you know go out on a limb to help someone or to do something positive. And to me, what I was thinking as I was talking, looking at you was, I'll bet you've had a lot of this kind of experience in the, the, the camps or the schools or the workshops that you do, uh, where you've seen people that are trying something new and maybe they're afraid to do it. And maybe they're, they're afraid of, you know, failing and what other people around them right, might see. Cause right. when you're, a lot of these survival skills that are, are good to have, they take mm -hmm. a lot of practice. And the first time yeah. you're doing it in a group of people, you don't want to fail. So I, I just imagined mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. seen this, not just in that light, but other ways too. Well, the, the Stone Age skills crowd is super unique. Um, and they're different from the survivalist crowd. They're different from preppers who are, you know, preparing for Armageddon. How so? Um, I, I mean, not well, that I'm like shocked, like, no, they're not. They're all the same, but, but in what ways? Okay. So somebody who is a survivalist or a prepper, um, they are, they're cool with guns. They're cool with plastic tarps. They're cool with um, commercial water filters, you know, anything that helps them get to the goal of survival. Mm -hmm. that's all good. When you are with the Stone Age skills crowd, they're very specific in wanting to replicate things from the past. Mm. But it's, it's weird um, in the sense that it's still very much stuck as a, as, a, as a culture, we'll call it, in materials and methods. So it's how do you do this thing what do you use to, to get there? So like, I need to start a fire. How can I start a fire? Well, you want to get this kind of wood together. You want to carve it this way. You want to prepare it in this manner. And then you use it in this way. And then you can start a fire. Great. Then we have a fire. What's the next thing? Well, we need to catch some food. We need to dig some plants. We need to build a shelter. Everything is on this level of materials and methods. Mm -hmm. And the next step beyond that is actual culture, where we look at the process of, say, spinning a spindle onto a fireboard to create an ember. What does that tell us about relationships? What does this tell us about community? What does this tell us about responsibility um, and uh, entrainment? And, you know, how are we how are we learning from this process lessons that help us to understand more deeply who we are as an individual, 
who we are as a community, who we are as a community that includes the non-humans. Um, you know, that's the step that isn't there yet. Now, what I see in the Stone Age skills kind of kind of uh, uh, crowd is that, you know, they're very encouraging. They're very supportive of folks who are learning. Mm. Um, I don't find that they're very, um, very dismissive or critical of people who are just learning. You know, normally they're they're very welcoming in that way, um, but they're really not welcoming of innovation. They're mm -hmm. not they're not welcoming of that next step. Mm -hmm. um, so I think they're kind of stuck in a bit of an adolescent phase. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you if you take a, a kid out um, from say a uh, hunter gatherer uh, community and they they're pointing out you know, the tracks of the animals in the neighborhood to the kids. Yes, you're going to point out, like, look at the, the toe pads, look at the claw marks, look at the, the distance between this track and the next track. You know, you do talk about all of these things that are on a very physical plane. But then there's always the next step that as, once you can identify the tracks and you know what you're looking at, then there are the important questions of, well, who is this? And why were they here? What were they yeah, looking right. for? Yeah. And were they hunting, or were they going to going to you know find a place to rest up for the day? What was mm -hmm. going on here? What's the deeper picture? And then how is this animal related to these other animals? And how are they related to humans here? Mm -hmm. um, these are all of the deeper questions that we're not asking um, hardly at all mm -hmm. as uh, as in that Stone Age skills crowd. So. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to when that changes. Did you ever check out the Chaga video I sent you a ways back? Probably not. If you didn't do it when I sent it to you, I would be I'd find it remarkable if you went back to see it. <laughs> I, um, I I watched a little bit of it and I was thinking, oh, this is cool, but it seemed long, and I don't think I watched all of it. He uses Chaga as a fire starter. Uh huh. Uh, did you see that part? So Chaga, you know, has the, the hard black, like oxidized outer edge, right? Yeah. And then it has more of a woody, darker brown middle section. And then like yeah. a lighter, almost getting to yellow, amber sort of central section, softer. In the dark spot, it's, it's great for, you know, the whole like making a coal. And it's right. soft enough yeah. that, you know, unlike with a fireboard, when you drill it and you have to notch out for the, the, the coal dust, um, it's just sitting in there and uh -huh. then right. he takes a chunk. I mean, he does this on video. It's mm -hmm. so great. He takes a chunk of the middle section and he just like touches it in that coal, blows down a little bit and it's lit. That little piece of mushroom this right. little chunk is lit yeah. and he, yeah. he blows on it. It's great. And he starts a fire with it and you can carry that thing around. And he said he, no one taught him this. He just learned it through experimentation and spending a lot of time in the forest and with the chaga. And it's that kind of innovation that you're right. talking about. It's not traditional. Right. No one taught him this, but he's familiarizing himself with the natural components of his environment and saying, what do I need? What are the things I typically need, you know, and trying this out and wow, look at this. And he does this video right. on it. It's cool. Right. Worth yeah. checking out. 
Yeah, I wonder. Um, I do wonder, like, is that something that has never been done before? Or is that something that was done and forgotten or Acacia recorded? <laughs> yeah, and it's just been pulled out of the void. Absolutely. Um, yep. You know, like, um, uh, I was talking with this Native woman at one point, and she was talking about her niece, who one day started singing this song. And, uh, and, and her mother was like, you know, what is, where did you get that song? Like, who taught you that? And the girl was like, this old woman taught me. And she's like, which old woman taught you that? And they got out a photo album, flipped through it. And the girl was like, this one, this is the one, she's the one that taught me the song. Well, that woman was dead. Mm -hmm. And the this was a song that had been I think I told you this before that um, she when she died it, she, you know there are songs which are owned by the community that anybody can sing them and then there are some that are property mm-hmm. and when a person dies and takes that song with them it's done mm-hmm. and so nobody had sung that song mm-hmm. until this little girl um, sung it and it had been brought back to the surface from I don't know, the Akashic Records or whatever. Yeah. You know, I have had a handful of experiences with people who have passed. The first one was at my grandmother's house, walking down the hallway. I look in the bathroom. There's an old man sitting on the toilet in a blue flannel shirt. And he looks over at me. And uh, I don't know who waved first, but we waved at each other. He just like with his, his hands, his elbows on his knees, just like, wave like this and i walk a few steps further and then i'm like what you know and i go back and there's nobody there right and my grandma's in her bedroom at the end of the hall and i just go up to her and i say did anybody ever die in this house and she says yes an old man died in this house before we bought mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. i've had a, a hospice patient of mine who i was very close to she was a, just a dear sweetheart i can hear her voice right now And uh, the first time I came to Europe, we were backpacking at that point in the Highlands. And I had a dream vividly. She came to me. She's before I left, I said, I'm going for a while. I don't know if I'll come back. She's like, I'll wait for you, sweetie. I'll wait for you. (laughs) And I'm like, no, you know, don't wait for me. If, you know, if it's time, just go. And in the stream, she came to me very clearly and said, I couldn't wait for you. You know, I had to go. And I'm like, that's okay. And then right. the next, my mission was to find a payphone, And I called the place and I asked about her and she had passed. And, and there are, like I said, a handful of others. I have no idea how to explain it, and I'm not going to be a fool and, and not accept it without an explanation. Right. There is something yeah. happening there. There's really yeah. something happening there. Yeah. I, I think there is something around um, the strength of our connections, the strength of our, our need. There's, there's something in that realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and today it all seems like it's just crazy talk, um, you know, because science doesn't have a way of explaining what it is. And because there are some people who are pretty loopy who talk about this kind of a thing all the time, along mm-hmm. with all of their weird conspiracy theories and, and whatever. And so it makes it easier to dismiss yeah. the things that are valid. But if we were to go back again to a hunter-gatherer community and start talking about, you know, connection with people who are dead, um, connection, communication with non-human beings, everybody would be like, oh, yeah, 
like that's that's all normal yeah which is how it was with the blackfeet like that you know like this was normal nothing unusual nothing to see here and and i was always (laughs) like what you know what until finally after a few years i finally started to see and then i got so excited because i could at a healing ceremony you know someone comes up with a problem and i see like some kind of cartoony shadow looking thing on them and Mm -hmm. they go and they Mm -hmm. smudge them and sure enough that's exactly where they concentrated on and then afterwards that's where they were working on healing and then i saw it move and it like stayed somewhere else and they smudged them again and they went to where it still was where i saw it and then i was like oh i'm seeing something i still don't know how or what but now i'm seeing something i want to go back to when you were talking about because you've mentioned this once before in an earlier uh, conversation we've had, and I, w- I want you to elaborate on this. The, in the experience of working with fire, of a new student that's you know, learning how to, to do a hand drill and make a fire, um, the extension of that experience into a deepening of their understanding of themselves, the environment in which they live in, responsibility, you know, being a member of community, that, that extension of that experience, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So for me, this is, this is really critical information because of my knowledge of skills and my um, ability to communicate in a, in a knowledgeable way with um, other stone age skills practitioners because all of us that are really into it we're kind of throwbacks you know we're how do you mean well it's like it's kind of like we're we're caught up in we're fixated on we cling to the past and um and um so we're kind of like placeholders for humanity in a way Mm -hmm. and um and i think that's super valuable yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really valuable for humanity to be able to look back and be like, oh, look, this is how we used to do things. This is how we used to be. And that's why I'm wanting so much for us to um, mature in that and be able to speak about culture so that we can bring that back to this modern era and all of the people who are so completely lost. But so much of what I see in the folks who are in the Stone Age uh, skills crowd, they're also caught up in rugged individualism. Mm -hmm. This idea of, well, I wanna be able to meet all of my needs so that I can go away and I can not have to deal with the rest of society Mm -hmm. where I can be out there with my, my family or my tiny little group. But it's not about forming community and it's not actually leaning into the skill sets that would be necessary to communicate well, to connect well, to resolve differences, to heal trauma, all of these things that are so important. So how do we move from just physical materials and methods, skills into culture? And I think the first thing that we need to do is acknowledge that um, this is hard and we don't have all of the tools that we used to have. So beginning with language, the English language is cobbled together from conquered peoples. And so it's um, a language that 
that shows a, a traveling path rather than a language that is about being in a place and loving that place and nurturing that place and being looked after by that place. Um, and it's primarily focused on nouns. Whereas if you looked at a lot of indigenous languages, those languages are focused on verbs and states of being. Ah. So it's, it's a completely different way of expressing oneself and what's available in that language, just because you know, we have a certain um, subconscious way of picking words and sentence structure. And like, there's this strategy, this format, which um, supports us in being disconnected, hmm. disconnected from our deep selves, heart closed, disconnected from our landscape and the beings and energies of that place. And um, so I think it's just important to acknowledge that right off the bat, that our way of expressing sucks. It is, it's something that I think about um, almost every day, just how much I regret that I'm trying to express concepts in English. However, it's what we got. So mm -hmm. um, I think that a big piece of it is really um, finding the ability to come to complete silence and stillness. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, really odd to talk about in our world today. Um, but it's not only an indigenous practice, but it's a human practice. Um, and, you know, if you go into, um, you know, the, 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 the Greek thinkers to, to tie into Europe, if you go into the great Greek philosophers pre, you know, this era of rational thought, what you have are people who, are, who are, have a practice of going into caves, and going into these long periods of absolute stillness, absolute silence in complete darkness. And it's this method, this practice of taking one's questions into a void and yeah. allowing, you know, the Akashic rest records <laughs> or, you know, the, yeah. the, the collective consciousness or God or whatever you want to call it, something comes in and fills that space. You know, and we we have like uh, Tesla and Einstein. You know, all of all of the greats. They all talk about this holding on to the question and then taking it into the void and then allowing the answer to flow in and fill that space. Yeah. And um, and I believe that this is one of the perhaps the most important skill that people can be cultivating today to unwind, unravel, and reweave what it is to be human um, individually and collectively. So, you know, we take our question of how do we create community? How do we create culture with something like fire making? And we bring that to the practice and we know what that practice is. And we're like, all oh, right, so this is what I'm looking for. And then it's taking those deep breaths, letting completely go of that question, finding the still pool inside oneself, 
even letting go of this sense of of being human having an identity mm -hmm. and then what comes in um you know and for me because i have sat with that um in the lava tubes <laughs> yeah yeah half a mile underground um but also i assume i imagine that you continue to practice that in even in little bits here and there throughout a day or it's so. a daily practice yeah, yeah yeah and um uh i find any time that i am moving forward with questionable momentum mm -hmm. whether that is in my physical body whether that's in my emotional state which mm -hmm. is what everybody naturally unnaturally gets into when they're scrolling through social media mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's momentum mm -hmm. that is a um energetic emotional and mental momentum mm -hmm. and so whenever we have that questionable momentum happening then it's so useful to just set that all aside and just take even if it only takes 15 seconds mm -hmm. um which it doesn't have to take long if you've been practicing this for a while right um but as long as it takes if it takes two hours whatever but get to that point where you're no longer moving with momentum and then your next conscious step can be in whatever direction is going to serve you best yeah and so you know if it's something like fire making we have these preconceived notions that we can't help you know about what it is to make a fire you know there's some sort of a ego trip that's that is connected with look at what i did i did this amazing thing look mm -hmm. at me you know, that's what we're brought up in. And so that's not going to support community. But if we don't stop the momentum, then it's likely that it will be part of that. Um, when you practice stillness throughout the day, do you do it by in a sort of a, as a formal gesture of sitting in a certain place? Um, which for me, I asked this because for me, I, Chris, I just have to say, I love talking with you. It's probably because it, it may be something like two guys that like the same band think that each other has very good taste <laughs> in music. Um, but I just, I enjoy it so thoroughly because like, I think about this, you know, ongoing and you're just you're saying what I am thinking like so much of the time it's it's right. sweet <laughs> and satisfying but you know again we both like whatever blue oyster cult um it's not so awesome, awesome that you and I are so awesome <laughs> yeah precisely but back to the point of of the stillness it is in my experience I I have been hardcore meditator totally done that um mm -hmm. And now it's more of a practice of being aware of it during the day. And exactly like you said, when you, mm -hmm. when you notice you have some momentum, questionable momentum, right. check in. And, and the cool thing about this practice is no one is going to know you're doing it. You right. can do it yeah. anywhere, anytime. And like you said, yeah. it can take 15 seconds, five seconds. It can take, you know, you can do it for an hour, whatever. But 
how you do that, that's, that's what it, where I was getting at. Do you sit down formally and meditate? I do sometimes, but rarely. Most of the time, it's just integrated into my actions throughout the day. Right, right. Yeah, I almost never formally meditate. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't have my like special meditation cushion, my special meditation rug. I don't have like a particular altar that I go there in order to meditate. I'm not dissing those things. Sure. All of those can be super useful. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't. Um, I find that I benefit from regularly checking in with that deeper sense of self than what might be present on the surface. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be able to do that regardless of where I am or what I'm doing. Um, I find that uh, as long as I'm not driving, closing my eyes is helpful for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, so here, I'll just do it. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go into my, my stillness here for a moment. Yeah. And now I'm able to access um, something that is different, something that is deeper inside of me than what I could a minute ago. Um, yeah. You know, it was actually very helpful for me to take that little bit in the middle of our conversation and be able to access something that's a little bit deeper. So one of the things that I want to point out there, because um, it is it is what I go through when I'm doing that, is there's... How did he even describe this? So there's there, we all have energy. Energy is a vibration, but energy is also a direction. Okay. And I put a lot of focus on where that energy is being directed. Mm -hmm. And it's not um, simplistic in the sense of all of my energy is moving this way or all of my energy is moving this way. Um, every single muscle in my body has an energy which is causing it to be somewhat contracted or somewhat relaxed. Um, my thoughts are the same way. My breathing is the same way. Um, and so that's something that I'm tracking, even in that gentle, quick little moment of going into that place of stillness, um, I'm wanting to let go of not just my thoughts, but I'm wanting to let go of those energetic patterns because those energetic patterns are also constraining, guiding my thoughts and emotions. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Just like it's like a physical manifestation of that thought or emotion, or conversely, the thought or emotion is a manifestation of that physical energy expression yeah, it's a, or it's position a or whatever yeah, yeah 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 yes and chris again man you 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 got to what i was going to ask you is what your what your experience is when you do that and i have a similar and i i um it's like it's like feeling the feeling of being and it's somewhere between mental and physical it seems it is very much energy mm -hmm. it's feeling mm -hmm. like the life force 
that is in me, not feeling the blood flow. You can do that, but it isn't that. It's just feeling the consciousness of the, you know, the awareness of my fingertip. Like it's behind my head. I can't see it and it's holding still, but I feel I'm in there. I feel it there. It's that level of like checking in feeling and it. Yeah. And if you feel that there's a, a certain intensity but also like um oh what's the word like when it's all sort of density like there's a certain Mm. density Mm -hmm. somewhere Mm -hmm. like that's a place to kind of like okay breathe into or let it go or yeah you had said if there's a pattern to let go of that pattern that's a good way of saying that yeah 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 um another thing that i will play around with and i think is a is a fun practice and useful for folks is with their breathing So if I'm in a new place, so for instance, um, hunting in different places in Montana uh, this last fall, and I would arrive at a location and I just got there. I'm this outsider. I've come into, I've got all of my thoughts and energies, my state of being, which is um, disconnected at some level. Um, pretty profoundly, actually, from this place. And I'm really wanting to connect. So how do I do that? Well, you know, our breathing is like so many of the things that kind of maintain this, this level of stasis within the body, you know, we breathe out, we breathe in those two balance, and we come to a middle ground. But what if I really want to connect more with this place? So then when I'm breathing out, I can feel, imagine that I am expanding my energy outwards and connecting. And typically, if I'm not really paying attention to it, when I breathe in, I'm going to pull that energy back. But if I consciously allow myself to keep pushing while I'm breathing in, and then my next exhale, I'm going further. And I'm, I'm, I'm expanding my consciousness. I'm expanding my connection to this landscape around me, to all of these beings and energies of this place. And that's a really cool, simple technique to do. Yeah, that's excellent. And that, that seems to be that sort of intention of the direction of your energy. Like that after you exhale and you inhale again, you're still pushing that out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the intention of the direction of the energy, which is, you know, wonderful to do with friends and lovers too. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine if that was our focus every time people got together, it's like, I want to, I want to reach into you and understand you in a way that is beautiful and sweet and profound and not creepy at all. (laughs) Right, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. um, You know, it's, it is um, vulnerability that um, doesn't need all of the, all of the layers of protection around our hearts. I'm going to ask you about another book and it's another fictional book that has really good intentions and a good message through it. Um, and I'm sure you've heard of it. The Celestine prophecies. Did you ever read that? I did read that. Um, and, uh, it's funny because I'm, I'm writing a book now. Oh and, yeah. I'm uh, so yeah. excited about that, Chris. That's <laughs> I'm great. Like 40, 40 pages into it right now. And I'm just, I'm loving the process. It's really, really, um, nonfiction fun, or fiction fun for me. 
Um, this is fictional. Okay. Um, and it's um, it's written as a young adult book, which um, but I, it's it's also the kind of book that I think that probably everybody is going to want to read it multiple times. Mm-hmm it'll have that depth worked into it you can read it and just have a fun storyline and and be entertained mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. great but there's a lot of layers that go deeper than that kind of like uh way of the peaceful warrior or ishmael mm-hmm. um and the celestine prophecy was to me kind of like that mm-hmm. um but when i picked up the celestine prophecy and i did read it that was like maybe 10 years after I had read Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I was kind of like, oh, this is so basic. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't find the depth in it. That sure. was, sure. you know, it's like, yeah, yep. it's an interesting story of personal growth and enlightenment and all of that. Um, but where were you going with that question? Well, I mean, its attraction is in its revelatory nature. So if you've already sort of have that, now in you yeah it's just a story and it's right it's okay um but but as a you know it's a vehicle for getting these these sort of wisdoms or truths or insights insights as they call them in the book out what i liked especially as the insights progressed i found them less interesting and and maybe that's my own limitation and i should revisit it it's been decades for me since i read it i read it i think soon when it had come out Jack Redfield is the author. Um, he's talking about, I think it's the second insight or something or third, but it's communication. And when you meet people, and I think he did this very well in the book, in the, in the early part, to see the beauty in somebody mm-hmm. and to, mm-hmm. to see the beauty in them. And then you can really hear them. And then the right. message that they have to share comes through. And I, I think the application of that in your real life works. That's what I loved about yeah. that book is yeah. like, I'd, I'd read a chapter, I'd read an insight, and then I'd take some time in between going on with the book. And I would practice applying that in my life. Uh-huh. And it, it was like magic. It was really great. Um, and yeah. that was it. That yeah. reminded me of what you're talking about, you know, without being creepy, you know, touching someone in that way, like, like just recognizing the intrinsic beauty of their being and, and thereby right. connecting with that, which they have to share in a genuine way. Yeah. 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 You know, like if somebody only really holds onto their energy really tightly, they can't be anything other than a narcissist. Mm. Um, Because again, it's the qualities of our relationships that really define us as a human. And um, I would say that the other piece to that, you know, reaching out and connecting is, um, is that, yeah, the energy does need to go in more than just one direction. And uh, we want to be able to do that as well from a place of stillness, mm-hmm. you know, really letting go of all of our stories, all of our projections, all of our hopes and dreams and desires and all of that, and just simply be, you know, that to me is, that's the greatest vulnerability. Um, and I, I like to, I find that it's useful for me as a healing practice that whenever I am at the 
at, you know, kind of in the state where it is least accessible to me. So yeah. if I'm really frightened or I'm really angry or I'm really something, you know, anything other than love to go into that place of stillness um, and then, um, you know, and, and then to find gratitude. Yes. You know, because at least, at the very least, I want to have gratitude for that person or situation that helped me bring to the surface everything that's not my deepest truth, because you got to feel it to heal it. Yes. Yeah. Gratitude is such a key to open up experiences of, of genuine fulfillment and rewonderment in the world and accessing the Akashic record. Uh, and yeah. and listening in stillness uh, or or receiving in stillness not to have this oh me 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 i have something I, i'm thinking about that i'm going to say as soon as you're done you know or that right. that i'm going to yeah. say which is yeah like to let that go this is like a book review club now but uh, back to siddhartha by herman hess there's a you read that Mm -hmm. Did you read that? That's such a nice book. I did. It's I, I been think, a long time. Yeah. But me yeah. too. I think it's been probably 30 years, but uh, I, I think I've got to reread that because it it's very well written too, as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, there's a part where he meets the boatman and the boatman. And uh, one of my first elders in the Native American traditions, his name was Boatman, which is interesting. But the boatman, mm -hmm. the ferryman, he was the ferryman. Mm -hmm. um, he taught Siddhartha how to listen. And in the listening, the, there could be days that would go by without speaking mm -hmm. because he was really listening. And right, that was a, right. another a beautiful lesson from. from yeah, that. yeah. Huh. Yeah, I do. Um, I really, really, really value the very silent spaces that I find in nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're hard to find these days. Um, I'm, how, I'm, how so? Well, I'm currently in a place where I don't have it. Um, sure. It's it's never silent enough for the kind of deep listening that um, is is the most fun for me. Uh, so here, you know, there's there's just there's planes, there's sounds of lawnmowers, there's um there's roads that are close by enough where there's always like a certain level of traffic sound and um and so you know this is this is this is place this is baseline um symphony that's going on here has a lot of human uh influence to it mm -hmm. and there are places like in um Fish Lake National Forest in Utah. Um, there's some places out there that are really silent. And um, up in Montana, in um, a couple of different places where I was up there, but particularly in the, um, the Missouri breaks, just, just, you know, it's almost like being, I've never been in one of those sensory deprivation tanks, but I imagine it's, it's that. It is so absolutely silent. And you know, a lot of times it just, the natural rhythm of things, there's, 
a period of time where the frogs are deafening or the crickets are overwhelming. And, you know, there's just, it's nature and, and it is what it is, but there are these places. Um, the Eagle Cap Mountains in Oregon is another place where it's just like, oh, so silent. Mm. And then there is the listening for the sounds, but then there's the listening for the sounds that are beyond the sounds. And what I mean by that is there is like a little sound where I'm like, oh, okay, that was something stepping in some leaves. And there's a sound that's like, mm, okay, maybe that was a bird. Maybe that was a, a cricket. That was a something that I can um, consciously identify as being a thing and to wonder about its source. But then there are the sounds that are beyond that where when I'm listening, I'm like, did I just hear that? I'm not sure that I heard something. Maybe that was a sound and maybe I'm imagining that as a sound. And then, because, you know, of course we're, we're aware of things that we can't put labels on because our consciousness is not our subconsciousness. So those sounds that are beyond the sounds to me I identify more as feelings or pictures or a sense of. Mm -hmm. And that's a really cool practice. Mm -hmm. um, like I was in, um, I was in the Angeles National Forest uh, here in, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, just outside of LA. It's a huge forest and nobody ever goes off the trails. And I had uh, a group of folks with me. We had just we were sleeping out under the stars and there's this creek that flows by and uh and it was just before daylight so it's still blackout and i'm dreaming and i something is calling me within the dream and i can feel it's like off to the side of the dream that i'm having but it's calling my attention it's calling my awareness and I'm, I'm having this great dream. I don't really want to stop dreaming, but I can feel it. And so I wake up out of the dream and then I'm laying there and I can't hear anything. I can't hear anything that is making any kind of a sound. There's like a little bit of a trickling sound from the water. Um, and, uh, but the feeling, the sense is there's a bear. There's a bear that is walking by camp. And, uh, and I'm listening for, you know, the sound of those soft pads and I can't, I can't hear anything. Like I can hear sounds that are in that realm of the sounds that are beyond the sounds. And then, you know, a few minutes go by, it starts to lighten just a little bit. The sun is just starting to, to uh, chase away the shadows. And one of the students wakes up and starts walking around. Now I really can't hear anything. So I get up and I walk down to the creek and there in the creek are just these perfect tracks in the sand. You know, this bear just walked by and this is, you know, this being called my awareness. Now, you know, did I hear it as one of the sounds beyond the sounds? Was that just something that entered into my, my unconscious awareness? and became conscious, I don't know that I need to put a label on it. Right, um, right. But it is in that kind of a realm. 
I, I get um, tired of waiting to believe in something until I have a scientific model that explains it. And I, I, I was raised in that and I, I give total credence to the scientific method, but it doesn't mean that we cannot accept something unless it's been scientifically proven. And neither does that mean that we should just accept anything, however wild. Right. But right. when you have that kind of experience and you can't explain it, you also don't need to. You're having that experience. And yeah. I do verification, though. Some verification is important to me. Someone else saw 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. Someone else 100%. is there. Too. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I do get frustrated with the, the notion that you reject it simply because we can't explain it right yeah yeah um i i love what you said there yeah so we can lean our curiosity into is this a thing and then we should look and see are there tracks is there something that we can right. use to verify mm -hmm. that this thing is a thing and if we can't verify it then um i'd be like yeah i don't know this thing happened i'm still curious about it um i don't need to I don't need to put a story on it. I don't need yeah. to label it and say that this is what happened. It's perfectly okay. And actually, I think it is a maturity that our society would benefit from, Absolutely. from holding this openness to possibility. We don't know. And there again, we lack the language to even name the thing that we just experienced because it's outside right. of the common realm. Yeah. yeah. So how do we yeah. even describe it? Yeah. Yeah. In... Um, uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. See, I'm just like reaching into the void to find, uh -huh. <laughs> find that information by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I don't even, didn't even know I put it in that folder. And, uh, and she talks about indigenous thinking and also scientific methodology and thinking. So she's a college professor, but she's also native. And so she is walking in both of these worlds. And she talks about in the Potawatomi language, they have a word for the energy that causes a mushroom to pop up out of the ground overnight. Mm. And so that's the beauty of having a language which is verb and being based mm -hmm. and rooted in place mm. is it gives you the ability to, to you know, say something like this and people understand what you're talking about. You know, the word is uh, pupao. And cool. I think pupao is like, that's the perfect word. <laughs> it is. Yeah, totally. It's got the shape and it has the, the power, but the softness. Yeah. And the yeah. suddenness. Yeah, it's all yeah. there. Yeah. You know, and and here, you know, I just I just spoke all of these words to try to convey something that right. um, could have been really easy if we had the language to speak to it. Um, Kalu. Kalu? I just made that up, but that's the word to <laughs> express my total agreement and understanding. Right, right. So, you know, like I do want to circle back around to your question about how do we derive culture from the practice of fire making? Great. Um, and the reason I didn't give you a really clear and precise answer is because I don't have a clear and precise answer. Uh, it's something that I think about a lot and I'm not quite sure how we get there yet, but I know that we don't get there by me telling everyone how to get there. Yeah. We get there by um, 
people coming together and collectively deciding that this is what something means, you know, that becomes culture. Um, if I tell people this is what it means, and then there are some people following that, then I'm a cult leader, which, you know, would be cool because then we would get the robes and the sandals and you the put beats. the cult in culture. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it would be, you know, we could be like the in crowd, but with robes. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, I. Terry um, cloth robes. <laughs> you know, how do we, how do we come to these agreements? You know, it used to be because we all were in this one place. You know, we saw everybody every day. We were, you know, this is, this is us. This is our our group, our community, and it was that regular association that um, was that had these particular stories that were told at certain times of the year, and everybody grew up with the same kind of symbology that we got from the stories and from from just you know everything about growing up and living together and living together in an intimate way not in this disconnected way where, you know, I go to work and I come home and I close the door and I watch Netflix. We are, we are very much conditioned very willingly and myself too, man. I, I, you know, talk about uh, sort of checking in when you notice you've got some questionable momentum. I will go into, I love YouTube shorts. 30, less than a minute, interesting. <laughs> and like, there's some really cool stuff. Sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's a channel and it's, um, as an example, but the, the whole, uh, sort of corporate cultural phenomenon of I get up, I have coffee, I have breakfast and kiss the wife and kids goodbye, you know, and, and drive to work. If, if everything is, you know, that well, even, or whatever it is, and you work your, your six, eight, 10, 12 hours, you drive home, you do your night routine, watching this or that, uh, you know, reading whatever you're reading and you go to bed and it's like, repeat, you know? Right. Right. Um, and there's very little room in there for the kind of innovation and practice that it will, that is necessary to change our lock locked in trajectory and and our right. constant feedback loop that we're we're stuck in right the practice of the the primitive skills or or mindfulness of finding stillness it just practice 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 and i like that they talk about meditation as a practice um you know i the regularly making those choices yourself that are not due to a uh, uh, calculated algorithm, um, but because you are engaging in innovation and creative thinking and imagination, and then making a decision. Uh, what were the words before in, in having an intention of the direction of your energy mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and practicing that? And that's with connecting with people, with finding stillness, uh, with with reaching in with healing wounds or or discovering them at first there's a have you heard of the four stages of competence 
where if whenever there's a new task uh, before you master it, you're unconsciously incompetent. You don't even right, know what you right. don't know. Yes. And then yeah. you begin to practice it and you become consciously incompetent. Now you know that you don't know. <laughs> and then you become consciously competent with enough practice that you, you know what you're doing and you know you know how to do it. And finally, right. in the master level, you have become unconsciously competent that without right. even knowing it, you're doing it. Yeah. And it requires practice. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm um, still talking about the Stone Age skills. There are things that tie into our instincts, which are inherent lessons which are useful for everyone and useful for society. You know, so for instance, if you're gonna start a fire by uh, rubbing two sticks together with a hand drill, it's going to require a certain amount of patience, persistence, dedication. Um, you're gonna to have to cultivate a kind of movement, which is going to take some work to get there. You're gonna to have to build up some strength, some endurance and, um, and you'll have to learn to identify some different kinds of woods. So you're expanding your idea that, um, you know, the, the whole uh, leave only footprints, take only photographs thing is maybe not the greatest. Um, maybe we shouldn't view nature as a museum and we're just, you know, amused bystanders, but maybe actually we're connected with it and it's good Participating. to know. Yeah, like that tree is like, that's the tree I'm looking for. That's, you know, a, a, a red cedar or whatever that um, we can use for the right kind of material. So um, it naturally kind of draws us in and should be posing bigger questions. Um, and then how do we go beyond that? Um, you know, we're, our society is, is so much in need of new stories to make sense of the reality that our world is in right now. Um, so I'm gonna take a little, little walk around um, and we can come back. So, so our technology today, everything that is computing based has been growing at an exponential rate really ever since com computers came out. Mm. And exponential growth is something that our brains are not conditioned, not um, adept at understanding. It really takes work to understand exponential growth because we don't have any natural examples of exponential growth. Everything always tries to find its way back to a happy medium. Um, so that we have some stability and so that our planet doesn't blow up or, or become a dead zone. And, um, but, you know, to, to explain exponential growth is um, when it was, when, uh, when chess was first brought to uh, King of Persia, um, 64 squares and the King was like, wow, this is so awesome, dude, what would you like? Like, let me give you a gift, this will be great. And the guy was like, oh, just, you know, one grain of rice for the first board, two for the second, um, four for the, the third square, then eight, then 16, and so on. And so it really sounds like 
cool, here you go, here's two bags of rice, thanks so much. But it's not, it's an incomprehensible number by the time you get to the 64th square, it's more grains of rice than are produced in the entire world. And if you took all of them and laid them end to end, they would reach all the way to the nearest star, Proxima Centauri, and back. And our brains aren't designed to comprehend that. So when someone says something is happening at an exponential growth rate, we really should pay attention to what that is. Mm-hmm. That is technology, everything that's associated with computing. When we look at that on a graph, the curve looks like this. Mm-hmm. It's a hockey stick. And the lived experience of that is nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening. Holy shit, oh my God, it's all happening. Um, Like when trains were first developed, people kept getting hit by trains because they had never experienced something that moves at 80 miles an hour. And it looks like when it's a hundred yards away, you could just walk across the tracks, but you can't because it's moving incomprehensibly fast for the people of that time. They had no reference point for something that was traveling that fast. And part of the human condition is we naturally look back to the way things were last year or five years or 10 years ago. And then we use that to project forwards to see what the future might look like. But when you are in the midst of an exponential growth curve, and especially when that curve has started climbing up like that, looking backwards doesn't give you the information that you need to project forwards. And that is the critical reality we're in because technology and the folks who are working with uh, social media and the folks who are really interested in gaining power um, have hacked the human system. So we understand how to essentially program people. We know how to change their opinions. We know how to motivate them to change their behaviors. And um, it's not like it's not like this is new. You know, there's there have been um, you know very competent um, psychiatrists for a very long time that have you know helped people to change state. Even but early we, advertising. Right, right. Yeah, it's all these ways of influencing. But now, now we have a way of doing it at scale. And we have a way of doing it where people are so engaged in it. And everybody's got one of these in their pockets. Yep, it's so addictive. Um, so, you know, we are at, we are at the crossroads right now. You know, humanity is at the edge of the cliff. We are absolutely going over the cliff. And either we crash in a heap at the bottom or we sprout wings on the way down. So it's a very exciting time. And we have the opportunity to expand beyond our present reality to a quantum ring beyond that. But right now, um, our trajectory is we're just gonna land in a heap at the bottom of the cliff. So, you know, we have, Um, Our social media is designed to um, incentivize engagement, but that's not natural. It's not natural to be looking at things that are the most dramatic, that are the most 
um, sensational, catastrophic, sensational, disastrous, whatever that mm -hmm. is. Um, that's not natural. Natural is um, where you look around and most of the time things are fairly stable. You know, there's the village, the sun came up, um, people are doing, uh, they're, they're making meals, they're processing food, they're tanning hides. Um, you're looking around, you're hearing the birds, the birds are saying the same story, the trees are doing the thing that the trees always do, the grasses and the flowers, and everything is working in this way that is like a natural symphony, and humans are a part of that. And it all feels good. It all feels relaxing. It all feels like, yeah, there's, there's, um, there's just this constant all good. I mean, the birds actually do this. The birds constantly broadcast a symbol of it's all good. Tweet, tweet, tweet. It's all good. Tweet. It's super good. Tweet, tweet. By the way, I'm over here and I have this territory and females should come and build a nest with me. Tweet, tweet, tweet. You know, and it's like that all the time until you have this scolding call and everybody pauses because there's that sour note or series of notes that the bird calls and says like, hey, there's a predator that's moving through the landscape and everybody turns and they're like, okay, let's track this. And then you, you assess what it is, you know, maybe it's a coyote, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a, a bird of prey that moved through sure, and it's person. something that, yeah, you know, it may be like you assess as a two-legged what your reaction is going to be you or response you choose a response to this once you assess what the issue is what is that disturbance and then you go about your day um you know so, and those things are rare it's rare for a predator to move through the landscape and then when something does happen like that you make a quick assessment you know 90 times out of 100 you don't need to change what you're doing you know, it's like, oh, okay, they're moving through, whatever that is, um, coyote or a bear or a fox or whatever. Um, and so it's like, here is your day, and then you have this little blip every once in a while, and here's your day. Well, you know, now with social media and the, the, the crazy amount of disconnected stimulus that most people experience with cars and Did you say disconnect and, and stimulus or disconnected stimulus? Disconnected stimulus. Right on. So when you have a bird that's calling, it's connected stimulus. Uh-huh but we have lots of disconnected stimulus where you know the 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 car that's honking over there really has nothing to do with everything else that's going on over here and we can ignore that and we try to shut that out we try to ignore that so we don't have sensory overload so we have we're creating the um you know the terrarium setup where it's just not suitable for the organism that lives there, mm -hmm. the human, like mm -hmm. this hamster wheel is not good for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we've got all of this disconnected stimulus and we've got all of these ways in which we're biologically programmed um, to want to look at the things that are dangerous and scary and out of the norm. 
And we've created ways to keep ourselves caught up in that. And now that we understand how to hack the human system at scale, we're taking that, that incentivized engagement and turning it into or, or utilizing the outrage. You know, it's like that's, a, that's something that's, that causes us to feel outraged is something that in a natural living situation, we would really pay attention to that. We would want to do something about it. Right. And so that's an easy one, you know, that, that gets utilized a lot on our social media. But, um, you know, it's, it's more than just clicks and likes. You know, we're just at the edge right now where um, very, very believable videos showing yeah. people saying and doing whatever, um, you know, we can, we, can, we can create a reality which fits whatever it is that we're wanting to create. And when we have um, experiences that we see through these uh, detached, what'd you call it? Detached sti stimuli? Disconnected stimuli. Disconnected stimuli that cause us outrage. That absolutely uh, infuses our ego, this, this identity that we have of self and other. It, it right. totally just like, like, like yeah. exacerbates it. Yeah. Uh, which then makes it even harder to find the stillness and connect again and, and listen. It's really a uh, double-edged sword in that way. So what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were going somewhere and circling yeah. back. So continue. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have this technology, the technology is not going away and humans don't seem to be very good. Um, at least, at least Western culture has a really hard time at saying like, you know, I'm not going to actually take that. Right. Like we're pretty caught up in this idea that if we can grab it, then it's ours and we should be able to. So, um, you know, like Elon Musk went around and told a bunch of people who are working on artificial intelligence, like, hey, we should really slow this down. What do y'all think? And everybody was like, no. We're just going to stumble ahead as quickly and as blindly as we possibly can, knowing that when the genie's out of the bottle, we can't put it back. But, um, you know, I'll just um, very quickly. Um, are you familiar with the authoritarian playbook? No. Okay. So the authoritarian playbook is basically there's like, there's a number of steps that all authoritarians put into place in order to shift the um, society that they're in away from democracy and towards authoritarianism. And if you do these things, um, which is now super easy because of social media and other things, um, then people are more likely to choose an authoritarian leader. And so we've seen where Facebook, for instance, has um, helped to install authoritarians in power. Um, you know, and, and I'll just say Donald Trump is one of those um, because he was certainly going after that, um, which is pretty obvious to see. But um, the things that uh, the things that are part of this authoritarian playbook, which, you know, if we think about what came out on social media and how social media has been um, gaining our attention and, and focusing us. 
to weaponize fear, to target outsiders, to undermine institutions like the court systems, like um, the media, to rewrite history, exploit religion, um, to do a divide and conquer. So it's always about, it's always about splitting people mm -hmm. rather than bringing people together and to erode truth, you know, and so yeah, we have, which seems to me to be one of the most devilish of them all. Yeah. Yeah. You can't believe anything. Right. Um, and if you can't believe anything, then there's really no incentive to take a big stand, but there is an incentive to choose someone who comes out and says, I can fix this. I can guide us. Right. I can put these things in place. I can make this better. I can make America great again, you know, whatever bullshit. Um, so this is what we've got. We have um, very smart people who have worked very hard to use the technology that is now available and the understanding of how to change people's beliefs and to motivate them to particular actions now we've got the system that can make that happen on a, on, on a worldwide level. And so how do we take control of that and how do we use that for, for good mm -hmm. rather than leaving it in the hands of the people who are going to use it for their own personal agenda and power? Um, and the first thing I would say is like, we need to take it away from salesmen and politicians. Like it cannot be their platform. And right now, these are the people who own it. You know, the ones who are most um, interested in putting money into the system in order to get their outcomes, their agenda. Um, these are the people who are going to use it for the wrong things. Yep. So it has to be owned by the community. You know, Facebook cannot be a private company. We cannot have social media that are, that are owned privately. I remember when it first started and it was so nice. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, it's, it's pretty nice right now. So I have, um, I don't know, I've got like 6,000 friends and followers on Facebook right now. And I, I keep a large number of people so that I can, um, so that I can see the things right. that get upvoted enough yep. to show up on my wall show up mm -hmm. on my feed. And, um, and right now it's just lovely, you know, because the Russian bots, um, the, the mechanized um, agents, the algorithms that are um, putting out information and that are responding to things, they're focused elsewhere. The Russian troll farm, they're focused elsewhere. You know, like there's a whole bunch of bad actors who have been really trying to cause chaos because chaos and uh, erosion of truth moves us closer to authoritarianism, um, destabilizes democracies. Uh, yeah, they're focused elsewhere. So right now, mostly, you know, my, my feed is people posting inspirational things and look at my garden and hey, yeah, I went on this nice. cool trip. Yeah, you know, those that's, are great. That's, that's what it's all about. That's what it should be about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so um, we should recognize that as easy as it is 
to have the social media systems designed to incentivize outrage. They can also be designed to incentivize unity, cooperation, love, all the good stuff. It's not hard. It's super easy. Um, but we need to move this all out of a profit model and instead move it into a community model. Um, you know, and especially again, with the technology that's available right now, um, it's more than just, it's more than just like having dictators take power. It's also that um, when you, when you allow this incentivized outrage and, and disgust and, you know, all of the bad things to be up-leveled because, you know, people, people who think like, oh, you know, Facebook, it's just, you know, it's got some bugs, like they're working it out. They're not working it out. It's working absolutely the way it's designed. Um, and so you will have more and more radical elements that come out of that. And with this exponential growth of technology, you know, we're like, we already have it now where you can get um, a drone and, and set it up to be lethal so that it fires charge, you know, has a, a lethal charge. And then you can set it up with uh, software recognition technology and start targeting people. Those are called laws, L-A-W-S. Is there a, a term for that actually? Lethal automated weapon systems. Ah, damn. I mean, it's, it's not just drones. It's anything that's just a robot that right. has lethal capacity and an automated software to recognize target and deploy. Uh, yeah, laying down the laws. So right? yeah, I mean, you know, for the, for the cost of an iPhone, you can have that. Anybody can, it's so accessible. Um, CRISPR technology, you know, we're moving towards where um, you can have a tabletop version and you can create your own uh, lethal virus and set it loose. Um, you know, the technology is not quite there, but it's right there. It's so close, you know, and, and we could go through a list of things like that, which are all very much um dystopian they're very much apocalyptic you know and then you know throw in big stuff like climate change and um and how that destabilizes um vast areas and causes mass migrations of people and then you've got you know our social medias which is where so many people get all of their information these days that are talking about the you know the dangerous others well, you know, when you have mass migrations of people and these are all dangerous others, then all you have is conflict. Well, how do yeah. we, uh, how do we diffuse that? And I ask that because I start with an answer to it, which is, I, I don't think we'll be able to get rid of it. And what I think is one of the critical components that people need to equip themselves with in order to more safely navigate those, you know, that, that intentionally designed jungle is the capacity to critically think, to really, you know, mm -hmm. direct the uh, intention of their energy to seeking out more sources of information and maybe not all 
on Facebook, maybe not right. all even on just this country's media, or maybe not all on this Western civilization's media, but you know, is and, and then how, you know, where's the information coming from? Who's asking right. it? How was right. it asked? Who was asked of the information? You know, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Like to be right. able to critically think, to always have that within yourself, to not blindly right. follow. Yeah, it's not enough anymore. It's just not enough um, because we have technology which has been utilized to hack the human system and it's being employed at scale in what we could think of as a perpetual motion machine. It's not enough to be just have the capacity to critically think. Not at a societal level. Okay. Um, so, so continue. You know, you can get like, we still want to encourage that. You know, that's why one of the first sure. things I said today is like cultivate stillness because from there you have the consciousness to better evaluate, hmm. you know, like this thing right. that was just taking me on this roller coaster ride. Right. Is that really a real thing? Is that what mm -hmm. I should be doing with my time? Am I, am, am I getting where I need to go? Right. Okay. Um, so yes, we always want to encourage stillness and we want to encourage people to, um, you know, like be aware of the source of their information and to check different sources. Evaluate the to, quality. You know, yeah. 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 Cultivate discernment. And it's not enough because we have this perpetual motion machine happening and it just keeps um how to put it like let's say that um let's say that you're you're outdoors and you're camping and you've gone inside and now you're ready to like start winding down and go to bed and somebody unzips the tent and lets a mosquito in and that's kind of annoying. So you go after the mosquito and you get the mosquito, but then somebody opens it up and puts another mosquito in. And every, you know, every 30 seconds, there's another mosquito that's let in there. So now you can't rest. You can't, you can't comfortably yeah. go to sleep yes. um, because yeah. you're right. just activated all the right. time. You know, you're going to get beaten up. Right. You know that this is bad, but there is nothing that you can do with it because you're caught up in this perpetual motion machine that is always bringing up fear, bringing up distrust, bringing up um, this sense of, of hopelessness around inability to evaluate truth. You know, we've got all of these things which are making the world worse and, um, and it just doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. However, we have the technology now, like the system's built, just change the incentivization process so that instead of incentivizing the bad things, we incentivize the good things. How do we get now, to there from here? Well, let's stick with the metaphor for a moment. Now, instead, metaphor. Um, every 30 seconds, somebody opens up the tent and pulls a mosquito out. Mm -hmm. And so you're in there trying to do things, um, but also you've got help. You've got um, a system which is showing you like, hey, like this wonderful thing happened in this community a little ways away from you. Um, where people join together and they built a community garden. And wow, here's a picture of somebody who's smiling and they're sharing food with somebody else. You know, these things that are about connection, right. these things that are about making the world a better place, mm -hmm. it's easy to incentivize that 
with some creativity, we can probably incentivize it so that it's engaging enough that we actually want to check it out like on a fairly regular basis. Um, definitely like right now where Facebook is actually pretty nice, it's not as engaging. You know, I don't feel like uh, the world is on fire quite as much. <laughs> so I don't feel like this internal um, instinctual desire to go and check it out as much. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. you know, like we have to think about what are we here for? What kind of a world do we want? And we have to create that. And we have the technology to support us in doing that. The most important thing is to just stop the perpetual motion machine that is taking us downwards. Just stop that. So if the, you know, if that means that we just end social media, so be it. But we won't do that. So why don't we use it in order to bring more beautiful things into the world, into our consciousness? So how do we get there from here? Well, you know, I'm not a I'm not a politician and I'm not really much of a social activist either. I imagine that there are people who have a lot better ideas about that sort of thing than I do. But, um, you know, the old system is we vote the right people into office and we hold them accountable and we make sure that they enact the right kinds of laws and put things into place. The problem I see with that is that technology moves so fast and um, you know, everything, is, everything is accelerating. That's the thing. You know, it's not just that it's moving fast, it's accelerating like at an explosive level. And um, so we, you know, it's not enough to look for problems and then debate about it and then react to it. Um, it's important that we get in front of these things. Um, so, you know, the kinds of laws that we need, part of that would be to slow everything down, you know, to have a process in which, hey, if you have this new kind of technology, you can't just go ahead and implement it without it really going through some debate and, uh, you know, to maybe do a little trial and see how that works. Um, you know, it's like nobody even really knows what Facebook is doing as they constantly change their algorithms. It's all kind of hidden. And there's, you know, we need to have a level of trust and, and we need to have transparency. So that's one of the pieces. We need to slow things down and then we need to have transparency so that, for instance, um, in government, every, every bit of spending should be um, linked to um, a public website that anyone can access and it's all blockchain. So it's all held in place and can't be, can't be changed. And people holding office should not be able to have investments in you know, <laughs> like th that whole right. connection, the, the right. connection from oh outside non-disclosed commercial interests, being able to invest in politics is one end of it. And the other end of it is the individual politicians who have investments back into those, you know, same interests that they can make decisions on to, to grow right. or whatever that has right. to, that yeah. has yeah. to be cut. You know, it's so amazing to me that I, when I was in high school and I was taking American history and American government, um, and I read things like 
gerrymandering and the Voting yeah. Rights Act. I was like, wow, I'm glad we worked that out. Yeah. <laughs> it was you know, just, we don't have, don't have to worry about it anymore. They just decided that the, the gerrymandering uh, could stay, that it couldn't be challenged or something like that. Um, it's, that's, a, right. that's remarkable geometry, gerrymandering. That, that's some incredible stuff. You, uh, you read uh, Harari, Nouvelle, Noel Harari? Uh, Is that Noah. the guy's Noah Noah Harari, yeah, yeah. Um, Sapiens, and and you know, going back to Stone Age, uh, mm -hmm. he had identified stories or ideas as being the the unit that transcended the the group of fifty or so, whatever it was, individuals right. that could you right. know sort of and and engage a larger group to move in the same direction, and and therein right. I think is what maybe one of the most important things that the those most of us are not in those positions of power and you know in the one percent of the one percent or whatever right and that's the majority and and those ideas if we can fiercely cultivate and share ideas that people can directly experience the positive benefits of such as sharing and caring and support and giving if if everyone's doing that you're not without you're being given as well like there is really right. this community that just yeah. gets and it's that idea that i hope given some sufficient amount of time which hopefully isn't in the too late part of the clock um to make those kinds of changes to right. Right. to get a truly representative government to tear up the authoritarian playbook Yes, hopefully. And yeah. these ideas, this is why I have this little thing here. And yeah, right. Yeah. The more yeah. people that so, we talk to and share these ideas with, hopefully, it, that's, that's what we can do. It's one of the things we absolutely. can do with individuals. Yeah. Absolutely. So I did say I was going to circle back around. So cool. we were there. Well done. Um, so back when, way back when, we were all in this one community and um, people are starting a fire by rubbing sticks together and everybody has the same stories, the same symbology, the same everything. And so when one creative person or a group of creative people sit down and they're like, oh, you know, there was this time when there was no fire and then Coyote went looking. And, you know, so this engaging story is created in some manner. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense out of a thing which relates to our community in an important way. Mm -hmm. And that's the function of stories. Stories make mm -hmm. sense of our reality. Um, the world is changing fast right now, and we don't, we don't have um, the, the kinds of stories that we used to have. You know, we used to have these really enduring stories that people would tell for hundreds or thousands of years, like um this uh Dineh friend of mine he's told me a story about um the glaciers you know from his people and so these long stories that um they talk about how to be a better human how to deal with jealousy how to apologize and and make amends when you do something wrong you know these are really important things we have stories about those, but the stories today, if we go back, they're like, ah, well, what about Coyote? But, you know, like, 
I drive a car and I sit at a desk and, you know, my world is different. So we need new stories. Yeah. And in a world in which we had means of connecting people that really worked for everyone, we could crowdsource the stories to make sense of this world. And that's what we should be doing. You know, right. so, yes. so, you know, yes. it's Buckminster yes. Fuller, Buckminster Fuller, like, you Wisconsin. Know, like <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, creating something that works better and people have this intrinsic instinctual need to have stories which make sense of the world that they're in. And right now we have social media, which keeps throwing stuff at us. And it's like, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. And what we really need is something where you sit down at your computer or you look at your phone and it's blank. And then there's a question that comes up and says, hey, take a moment. What is it that you're curious about? How are you feeling? Where would you like to go with this inquiry? Yeah, right. How can I support you to become happier, more whole, more connected? And then you start exploring from there. It gives you some suggestions, but you're like, oh, we're just going to explore here rather than this rapid fire. Like, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Oh, cute cat. I'm going to watch this video for a moment. Uh, now I'm going to look at, you know, we need something that supports us to slowly, consciously, and beautifully, collectively explore the possibilities of being human in this era. And as we do that, we're going to start coming up with solutions. We're going to come up with new stories. Um, and, you know, the exciting thing is we have it. It's right there. Right. It's just being used wrong by the wrong our, people. Our potential is amazing. The Dalai Lama talked about how, you know, you could see humanity as a cancer on the earth, but we have the potential to be such a benefit. We have the potential to be so incredibly kind and nurturing. Buckminster yeah. Fuller talked about a great story he made up, I'm sure, a shipwreck and a, a guy saved his own life by floating on a piano because um, there's a piano from the ship that was floating by and it, it saved his life. And it doesn't mean that that is the best design for a life-saving <laughs> raft. Um, right, you right. know, so just because the thing is here, like question what is really the purpose and, and what is it really that I need to do uh, and then after needs that I want to do and, you know, what, like then plug in imagination and creativity and all the incredible potential through our intelligence and all the tools we have at our disposal, all, you know, these computers we have, all the technology, medicine, et cetera, it's not necessarily nefarious, you know, by nature, right. it's just being right. used that way, misused that way. Yeah. Yep. 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 Hey, I, I'd like to take a left turn to, uh, for a, not literally a friend of mine. This isn't one of those. I have a friend who's wondering. Um, a friend of mine had a issue with jealousy the other day. He was talking to me about. And when you said this uh, friend of yours was had talked about the icebergs and lessons of jealousy, I'm wondering if you have more of that story of what he said about the lesson of how to deal with jealousy. Uh Maybe it was me that was talking about icebergs at, at some point um, that that wasn't coming from somebody else. Um, 
because I, I use a metaphor around icebergs that I, I think you said your useful. friend Ninit or something. Nadin? Dinet. Dinet. So the Dinet is a, is a people. They're the okay. Northern Navajo. Okay. Okay. And, um, and I used to run a school up in British Columbia with this man, uh, Michael Smith, who was amazing. And, um, and related to jealousy in, in the Diné language, the word for forgiveness means to put something down and walk away from it such that you can never find it again. Hmm. So I've related. done that with pot in high school. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, useful tool. So, but what I think about in terms of, of jealousy is um, with an iceberg is, is um, as a metaphor for change. Um, there is uh, virtually all of the mass of the iceberg is all underwater. And so it's the hard stuff to see. And then there's the point that's peeking up above the water that's the easy part and you can grab a hold of the top of it and you can push that in some direction. So in terms of something like jealousy, it could be um, at the very, 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 very top is I'm not going to be jealous anymore. So that's definitely not going to work. Um, but yes, maybe you can push things from the top there and you can push it and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it until something happens and you let go and all of the mass just rotates it back to exactly where it was before. Mm -hmm. So, um, pretty much anything on the physical plane. So I'm going to, you know, put these affirmations up on my wall. I'm going to read this helpful book. I'm going to watch this uh, video. Um, I'm going to go and talk to my friend and, and uh, tell them about my jealousy. All of that stuff that's on the physical plane, if it doesn't have an emotional component to it, if it doesn't have an energetic component to it, if those things stay the same, all you're doing is grabbing the peak and pushing it until you let go and it rotates right back. All you're doing is rolling it. It's not actually moving it. So mm -hmm. to move it requires getting deeper. And- um, Nice. And that's, yeah. So that's why I think that um, uh, it's useful and I, I will encourage people even to set a, a chime, a timer on their phone um, so that, you know, every half hour, every hour, whatever, it goes off. And then it reminds you, we're going to start on the physical and look at how am I holding my body? What's my posture? And so I'm going to adjust that into a physical state so that I am in a more peaceful, more relaxed, more connected, more loving kind of physical manifestation of self. And then I'm going to examine my thoughts. What was I just thinking about? And, um, and evaluate like, what kind of thoughts do I really want to have? And then what sort of emotional state am I in? Um, what am I choosing around my emotions? You know, my, my emotions direct my thoughts, direct my physicality. And then I'm gonna even go deeper than that. And I'm gonna go and try and find that, that place of the void 
that place of absolute stillness where I can really sense the energy, you know, where, where am I tight? Where am I, where am I loose? What direction are these different energies going? And I want to release the engagement around those things, yeah. release those patterns. And, um, you know, it really is a magical thing to just take whatever it is that you're into whatever it is that's got you caught up. So in this case, whatever that jealousy is, take it into that place of absolute stillness. You know, every time that chime goes off, we're going to find that place of stillness. We're going to take it in there. You know, like Einstein said, he said uh, he didn't think that he was smarter than other people, just that he stayed with the problems longer, you know? So all right, so the jealousy thing, it feels big. It's a big thing. How do we deal with it? Well, keep chewing on that, but take it to the right place. Take and by it taking into it that... into the void, it's it's like you said before, like when you set it down into a place where you don't find it again. You talked one time about the hapana, was a Hawaiian concept. Uh, at... Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono. At the end yeah. of each day, you cut all the ties to everybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a way of um, letting go of everything that is not in perfect alignment with your authentic, whole, uh, natural self and becoming uh, pono. Pono is to be in that, that pure alignment. So you're letting go of all of that. Then you're reaching that place of the void because um, you've let go of all of these things that were sort of holding you in certain entangled patterns. And then you're inviting in this divine love, um, this, this divine perfection, you know, like whatever that is, call that in. And then you're sharing that with all of those individuals that you've had some kind of a something with. And then you're letting them go, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they have their own journey. Yeah. And then when you see them the next day, right. it's brand new. You don't have these yeah. preconceptions. You don't have these judgments that are already in place. You can be like, whoa, I'm wondering, who are you? Who are you today? Who are you in this moment? You know? There's such a built-in. It's not intrinsic. It's something we build this, I, I think it seems anyways, this um, fear of losing, that letting go is the same thing as losing. And it isn't. Mm. That, that when you let go, that person may disappear, but they also may not. They may be there in the right. same moment if you do this, you know, in the moment. Yeah, we have an issue in Western culture that um, we don't we don't really cultivate deep relationships. We have a lot of superficial relationships, and there's a lot of fear of rejection, of making somebody else uncomfortable. There's all of these social cues around sweeping things under the rug and, and making peace and being nice and talking around things. And, um, and in a way, which is false in a way, which is false. Yeah. And it enables us to keep these associations with people so we can have 
lots of friends, but they're all very superficial. And at the end of the day, we yeah, can right. still feel very alone. Yeah. Um, whereas there is a way to risk losing a friend because you talked about things that, that are meaningful, things mm -hmm. that are deeper, things things about you know hurts and hopes and um, and joys and right. confusions and you know all the messiness that goes with being human mm -hmm. and um, yeah I would I would rather I would rather have that than a bunch of superficial friendships you right. know so um, yeah you you let the people go send them on their way cut the aka cords and then the next day, um, it is okay to cultivate a natural joy of seeing a person because they're another person and be like, hey, I'm happy to see you today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where do we go from there? Where do and we go from there practice. when we have authenticity? Yeah, yeah. I'm practice. still working on it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, it's... Gosh, it, the more that I am open and willing to see and and change and reveal and and just open, 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 I it's clearer and clearer how though I felt at earlier times in my life I knew what it was all about. And I was doing the right thing. I just can look back and see how wrong that idea uh, was at the time, even though at the time it was the fullness of the capacity of the ideas I had. You know, I was, I'm like right. a kind of a driven person, um, but I wasn't always driving in the right way. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's important. It's humbling and, uh, but meaningful and deepening and yeah, yeah it's a good thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Hey, before we, before we go, I wanted to just check in the last time we talked was June last year. So mm. nearly a been year, a while. Yeah. been a while. Um, it didn't, uh, check in on the moon. I, I wore this cause it's like an old fashioned clock for our, <laughs> our check-ins. Um, nice. My wife designed this. I have to give her props for that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It's it's in this like little silver uh, gel uh, dots. It's pretty cool. Um, cool. But uh, you were you had been in the uh, in the Missouri breaks, and you were going back to LA. You were going to be offering some classes, and then you were also going to be participating in I think two separate weeks of family camping in the Sequoia. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk a little bit about how that went, not a lot, but yeah, how, whatever you want to do to sort of follow, close that uh, loop or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm back in California and I'm on the central coast now, but I'm still traveling down to Los Angeles and doing classes down there. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there's two weeks that are up in the Sequoias. Um, so this year we're doing one week, which is more kid focused. So it's a family camp, but we're going to focus more on the education for the kids. And then we have another week, which is um, uh, more adult focus and kids are certainly welcome there, but um, it's, it's going a little deeper around um, community and culture and skills and 
um, telling the right kinds of stories and all of that. So I'm doing, I'm doing that week with a, uh, a native friend of mine, a, a Wintu man. And uh, so I'm really excited to, to pair that together. And people can check that out at uh, wisdomkeepers.us because uh, it's about us. And, you know, I'm on social media and that stuff. I'm, I'm there checking it out, making sure it doesn't get uh, any crazier. Cool. And this, this episode will be aired uh, shortly after tonight. Um, okay, so I'll awesome. get it out there soon. Yeah. Unlike the last one, which was months ago, but uh, we knew that we knew that at the time. Um, and then, all right, so we can close up, but I want to keep talking to you after this a little bit, just to tell you what I'm working on and, and uh, some synergies. That's such a business word, but uh, some, some potential collaboration I see. Maybe. I love when the coincidences that happen that are not coincidences happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Coincidences. But actually, right. it's like mono incidences. I love playing with words. You <laughs> mentioned the word outrage before. And I thought the opposite of outrage is enrage. No, that's not it. But you know, or being superstitious. No, I'm just a little bit stitious, things like that. Um, okay. Uh, thank just all the time. Thank you so much. Like the, the question that I, I want to ask people in these conversations is like, what do you have to share? What's the most important thing that you want to share with the world? And you do it without being asked all, all the time, eloquently. It's so cool. Uh, you're a very unique human. We have to have more of you of of not you though but of people of consciousness expressing themselves <laughs> in a genuine way taking the time to ask all right where am i physically right now okay now where am i emotionally okay now what's beneath yeah. that you know to to enable that so thank you so much for sharing those exercises that everybody can do all the time and mm. hopefully by engaging those we will actually create a better and better world and get out of the kind of you know right skid we're in right now yeah. it's so possible we can totally it is do so it. possible yep. yes yep. yeah yeah thank you so much ken it's always such a pleasure chatting with you absolutely all right <laughs> till next time i will stop recording uh but we'll keep talking all right bye all one time live sounds good bye